there, and welcome back to Utah Places and Traces, where we talk about your favorite state with six corners. I'm Jake. And I'm Isaac. I'm Casey. And we're here. I think that's, that's our right. new that's our new intro. Yeah, I hope you like it. Let us know what you think. Like, subscribe in the comments. Let us know if you hate it. Sponsor us. Give us Please. a give us a better idea. <laughs> no, it's always up for the uh up to editing. How is everybody? Good. Long time no see. We're sorry that uh it's been so long since we've done any new episodes we've been a little busy jake has just graduated with his master's i have thank you very much finished what's that the up. title of your international affairs and global enterprise so a little bit of global business a little bit of global politics uh big picture stuff i really enjoy it so can i call you doctor now you can call me master but <laughs> you can call me anytime oh stop please there no, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, and this is something interesting, folks. We You're hearing these for the first time, but we've recorded these podcasts twice. Indeed. Isaac, you have anything you want to say about that? You know what? Uh, let me just leave it. I'm going to bring a hard drive next time, all right? Oh. Ooh. <laughs> Back things up, folks. That is a good rule of thumb, all right? We had some audio files get corrupted, but this is good um, because last time we recorded very late at night. We were all pretty punchy. Um which was arguably great, but... <laughs> could have been funny, also could have been a little wacky. It was so hilarious to us. We're glad that we are back and in a lucid state of mind on an afternoon. And we're going to talk about some national parks today. So this is number three of five of the Utah national parks that we've talked about. Mm-hmm. But we're on to Capitol Reef, which arguably is my favorite National Park. I guess not arguably because I'm talking about myself. Opinion, yeah. Inarguably. I me. support that though. You've got a good case. I really like it. Um, I think it is the least trafficked. I don't have numbers for this, but it is probably one of the least trafficked national parks in Utah. And it has a lot of interesting human settlement history in addition to beautiful Southwest um, landscapes. And it's also in the middle of freaking nowhere. So it's pretty hard to get to. But I think it offers a lot, and my ancestors actually are from that area. So it's kind of home, in a way, for me as well. It's the land of your ancestors. The land, land of your people. Yeah, I'm excited about this one. Full disclosure, I'm the only one of us three who's not been there. But, I mean, just looking up images like you want to picture a beautiful southwest United States, this is a great place to get a slice of that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the landscape in Capitol Reef is really unique compared to the other ones in Utah, and in my opinion, one of the most underrated national parks here. Because again, you mentioned we've already done what have we done? Bryce Canyon and, and Zion, Zion, right? Yeah. By the way, that was like two minutes fifty seconds when the first voice crack came in. <laughs> Just <laughs> sorry. That's all. It sorry, takes, everybody <laughs> had to say it. it could be worse. Um, so, yeah, like I said, it is one of the most underrated ones and least trafficked, unfortunately. Um, Fortunately, for those who go there. <laughs> right, for us who want to enjoy it for ourselves. Um, so the, the most trafficked ones in Utah are by far Zion, Arches, and Bryce. And, you know, <laughs> makes sense why. They're, they're beautiful and they're a little more accessible. Um, but Capitol Reef is located pretty much smack dab in um, the center of uh, the southern region of Utah, if that makes sense. So it's kind of in the middle of a mountainous area and... Not really, not really on a um, really busy or accessible road. And so you do kind of have to go out of your way to get there. Um, but it is absolutely worth it. So we're excited to talk about this one here today. Yeah, it's in Wayne County, um, north of Grand Staircase National Monument, Escalante, 
Escalante. Escalante. Dominguez. Uh, however you prefer to pronounce it. And Glen Canyon National Monument, so just north of Lake Powell. Yep, that's right. If you're coming from the north where most of the people in Utah are, the quickest way is to go south on um, Highway 6 down through Price. And you take a short little stint uh, westward on I-70. Is that the right one? Do you go all the way to I-70? I think so. And, and uh, we go to I-70? We came from Vernal one time. Right. You, get, you have to get to Highway 24 is the name of the highway. Right. Um, but you kind of just work your way through, down through Hanksville, and over through Canesville. And go west. West through. From Hanksville, yeah. That's right. And then you eventually find yourself in Capitol Reef National Park. Hanksville is the middle of nowhere, too. But we're going to talk about that today. So um, why is it called Capitol Reef, you ask? Why, indeed. So there are white sandstone cliffs that kind of look like domes of capitol buildings if you look up a like a government building a lot of times they'll have a big dome in honor an an homage to the classical way of life and they're usually white and that's what early settlers thought that the domes in capitol reef looked like they thought they looked like capitol buildings and then reef comes from like a barrier reef like a ocean reef it's something that's hard to get through it's hard to pass through and Capitol Reef is really hard to get to and hard to pass through because there's a lot of rock formations and a lot of canyons and dip, dips and rivers. And so they call it Capitol Reef because it's it's hard to get through and exactly. it's beautiful. But exactly. There's, uh, there's pretty much like two main roads that go through the national park. You've got the, the main road that, that runs east to west, west to east, and it, it follows the, the gorge, right? The river essentially yes what's it called the river you mentioned there's it oh the, capital gorge cap, capital wash. wash capital wash that's what i'm thinking of um and that that's the the trail that follows the river through the town of fruta which we will talk about um it is one of the original settlements of mormon pioneers down south and still thriving today the river is the fremont river mm-hmm. also car- called the dirty devil river as the early settlers called it because it's it's kind of a force of of its own. You dirty nature. devil. You dirty devil. That's <laughs> what we should call you, Isaac. Right. Um, so the, the second main road that is in the National Park is the Scenic Drive. And it's just, it's a loop that you can drive through and it passes all of the, the most um, significant landmarks and monoliths in the National Park. It's a really, really beautiful drive. Um, and so, like I mentioned, monoliths and kind of, huge rock formations and walls are the main um, attraction of the national park. You've got features such as Temple of the Sun, Temple of the Moon, which are extremely striking. They just kind of shoot up out of nowhere. Just into soaring these massive cathedrals. Yeah, they're so cool. It's really, really amazing. Um, and that's what attracts people from literally all over the world to see this place. Mm-hmm. So we're excited to get into it. We'll talk a little bit about the geology of this place, the history, um, and what it can bring today. So let's get into it. Cool. Um, so I'm just going to start off with the geology of it and how it was created. So um, the Inner Mountain West has taken shape thanks to lots of different forces over millions and millions of years. Um, and so way back in the day, like 500 million years ago, the Paleozoic era, Utah was on the western edge of the North American plate. So I'm talking about tectonic plates. You boil an egg, you crack the egg, and the egg shells break into pieces. That's kind of like how our Earth is. Our crust, the Earth's crust, is kind of 
broken up into different pieces and they move a lot thanks to magma and other geological forces way deep underneath the crust. Um, but so the North American plate used to be covered by a shallow sea with like sand and animals and coral and um, sea life like that. And then as they died, they'd land, they'd c- fall to the bottom of the ocean and just layer on top of each other, creating sedimentary rock. So that's why you can find sea fossils on the top of high mountains today. And then over time, after the shallow she- seas era, different forces began to build mountains. And there were lots of different mountain building eras. Um, and so one was when the Farallon Plate converged with the North American Plate about 160 million years ago. And that's when like dinosaurs were roaming around my neck of the woods in Vernal, but... The uplift began with the severe orogeny. So orogeny is just a fancy name for mountain building um, event. And so the severe orogeny happened when lots of plates, plates are colliding together and coming into each other. One's going underneath the other one, but they kind of crunch together. Like, you know, when you take a piece of paper and you crumple it and it kind of gets bigger. That's what was happening with the plates. And... It just created thicker, crinkled crust that pushed up into the Rocky Mountains. And there are more multiple of these eras. But that's how, And that's how Utah's mountains were formed. But after these mountains were built, different plates and erosion led to other formations, including Capitol Reef's Water Pocket Fold. I think that's the cutest name ever. The Water Pocket Fold. The water it's Pocket, pocket. Fold. Um, and this, is, this is the feature that, that creates what we have in Capitol Reef. Yeah, the water pocket fold is the largest exposed monocline in the world. It's 100 miles long, and it's basically like a rock formation that just rises up above the surface, and it happens when there's been a lot of layers and lots of crunched rock together, and it kind of forms a Z pattern in the in the sediment, so it kind of just folds up upon itself, and after millions of years, rockets eroded away, and then there's just a really sheer high cliff left which is a monocline which is the water pocket fold and it's made of sandstone and lots of water has kind of pooled and created little pockets of water and little holes along this whole ridge and it's really spectacular and the Fremont River and ways that other rivers have interacted with it has created some amazing beautiful canyons and so I know I've talked about the Colorado Plateau in our Bryce Canyon episode but the whole four corners area are uplifted into the Colorado Plateau and the water pack pocket fold just kind of sits on top of the Colorado Plateau and rivers run through it and it just kind of juts out of the ground and it's really a cool feature on the landscape. So, Wow, you should be a geology teacher. You know, that was kind of long. I'm what sorry. are you doing in the podcast? No, that was <laughs> yeah, that's how the water pocket fold was formed and basically Capitol Reef follows the entire water pocket fold from its start down to southern southern Utah. So right. that's what makes it so unique and what has led to so many interesting things going on there. Yep. Cool stuff. Very cool. Yeah, Casey is our resident geologist. Um, you have to remind me. I'm sorry I always forget, but your undergraduate studies, that was geology or geography? It was geography. But that naturally... But everybody asks me second. what my favorite rock is, so they don't know the difference. Uh, fools, incompetent fools. <laughs> How could they? But now I need to know but what is your favorite rock. I, you know, that's a good question. I mean, I'm a sandstone gal myself. 
What's your favorite rock? Well, see, now I feel stupid because I was going to I was gonna say turquoise, which really isn't a rock, but it's a gem. <laughs> it's a mineral. It's a mineral, yeah. Um, yeah, I love, ter- I love that color on like everything, on cars and guitars. Cars From and cars guitars. And guitars, that man. is a Turquoise great is band the, name. Yeah, cars wow. and guitars. Um, no, I very much love that, and that's yeah. the Southwest, right? That's kind of a general color. Very there. Southwest, exactly right. Very yeah. Southwest. Uh, which is why I'm actually happy right now to talk a little bit about the human history in the area. Um, uh, for those who don't know, I grew up in the Southwest. I've had a lot of chances to see, unfortunately, not Capitol Reef, but other national parks, yeah, other areas. Unfortunately for you, for well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, it's a bummer. But I did take, um, well. Casey wasn't there, but I took you guys to Garden of the Gods. Remember that? I remember that in in, uh, Colorado. Yeah, that's right. In Colorado. (laughs) Um, No, but anyway, so let's talk about kind of the human history of this area where Capitol Reef is. So there were um, tribes belonging to the, I guess, for lack of a better word, networks of the Fremont and Anasazi peoples, um, but mostly Fremont. And talking about the Fremonts, right? So it 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 was a bunch of loose bands that shared a lot of characteristics, but were not related enough to be considered their own nation. Um, the Hopi called the Fremont people the, and, and forgive the pronunciation, but I've got Hisatnisam, goodness, Hisatnisnam. That guys, sounds about you right You guys want to me, challenge yeah. that? Hisatnisnam. Yeah. that's much better. That's how I'd say it. Yeah, because you're saying it right, I bet. <laughs> and the Paiute would have called them Nengwoots. I can say that one better. Uh, which meant people who live the old ways, which is kind of cool to think about. Like this is already an ancient tribe talking about a tribe who to them was ancient. That's, yeah, that's they didn't some, know. They didn't know stuff. them. They yeah. had never. They're not. Maybe they're related. We don't really know what happened to the Fremont. But yeah. 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 Interesting. They occupied that area from around 300 AD or common era to um, 1200 AD. We've also heard a different range anywhere, and I guess this makes sense, right? 200 to 480, so that averages that to 300 all the way up to 1350, um, but we're not sure, and sorry about that. We did our best to fact check it. But they did leave behind a lot of petroglyphs, artifacts, super geometric art, which is always, always fun. Hopefully Very you guys cool. can check that Very stuff cool out. Very cool petroglyphs, yeah. These folks were hunter-gatherers, so they weren't um, totally agrarian, right? So they would hunt the local wildlife, deer, rabbits, bighorn sheep, and they would enjoy edible plants, the berries, pine nuts, the yucca and cactus. You guys ever eaten cactus? I have, actually, it's yeah. good for your heart, I'm yeah. told. I've eaten aloe, but not cactus. Yeah. I, they're similar very similar, yeah. Um, they got that kind of gel in, mm-hmm. in the middle sort of um, vibe going on. It's the quenchiest. It is the quenchiest. Gross. That's a gross <laughs> word. Uh, but if, if I could add really quick here. So one thing that made them a little bit different from traditional hunter-gatherers in this time or around the same area is that they were a little bit less nomadic. Um, they did have community living. And uh, they had a little bit of um, agriculture where they, they cultivated corn and um, lived in pit houses. So, so some farming, but due to the climate and the, the place where they were, it was, it was pretty minimal. For sure. And I'm glad you mentioned the pit houses because we said earlier that Anasazi and Fremont, we almost grouped them together. They are different. Um, one of those differences um, was that the Anastasi built cliff dwellings. And I think everybody's kind of familiar with those, right? You see those those images. And, um, like Mesa Verde. It, thank you. Yeah, I can yeah. remember for a sec. But the Fremont people were, were more pit houses. Um, I think it's pronounced Wikiups. Yeah. Like WikiLeaks. Uh, no, Wikiups, uh, brush and log hunts, huts and natural rock shelters. So uh, that's just kind of a cool little difference if you want some party trivia there. Yeah. Um, 
Once they died out or left the area, they were assimilated into more powerful groups, other associations of nations. Um, but this this is an important area here. I mean, like they survived for sure, but this was not like the Fertile Crescent. You know, like there you can you can cultivate the land a little bit. There's some hunting going on, um, but this is not like a super thriving area. So there was a lot of drought. Um, once they left, the the Paiutes and the Utes came in um, to kind of just work that land. And they traveled a bit, and they were nomadic. They never settled permanently. Uh, but those were the folks, those were the tribes present when Europeans, Mormon settlers and explorers, arrived in the valley. Yeah, that's right. Um, one thing that Casey did mention a little um, a tiny bit was that we don't really know what happened to these people, um, the Fremonts in particular. Yeah. Um, some say that they left because of droughts or it kind of just dispersed, but it is kind of a mystery. We don't know where they went. That's right. The the Utah's very own Twilight Zone episode. They also may have just left. We just don't know. Right. There's just but no. They're, they're just. <laughs> Bless you, Jake. Bless you. My apologies. <laughs> You're good. <laughs> yeah, drink some water there, man. Take it easy. Don't hurt yourself. Oh man, that's great. <laughs> there's just no record of where they went. Right. They were there one day, and then they can't find any trace of them after. I, I was that, about so. to divulge the secret, and then. Oh. The universe stopped me from saying anything. Jake was it going to. <laughs> Jake no, I knows. Don't, I don't know. I don't know. That would be cool, though. Love Native American history. Really, really yeah. good stuff. Yeah. Super cool. The Fremont are interesting. We just don't know that much about them. I'm actually reading a book right now, 1491, about pre-Columbian Americas. New Revelations of... The Americas before Columbus. Yes, that's the one. Is that the is that the colon? That's the one. That it's interesting. I read it before actually, but it's very cool to just read. We pretend like pre-colonial America, pre-Columbus America was this like wild place, and there were no civilizations. But that's so untrue. And there's so many interesting cultures that were here, all over, and um, they were all these cultures were decimated by plagues that Europeans brought with them. And so um, it's just cool to read about the technology that different cultures had in the Americas and just the sheer numbers of people that they think lived here. This is all, it's all a lot of conjecture, but like there's just a lot that different groups did and built and created that is lost because of their like decimation so right but we we have artifacts we have things we that have the, you can see yeah and, mm. pe- and i think archaeologists are starting to recognize just the whole expanse of how amazing um cultures were in stuff. the america in the america yeah. all over the americas so there are petroglyphs that i think we did briefly mention that there are petroglyphs that you can see in capital reef that are they, they weren't as well preserved as they'd like to be but they have started to to put up barriers and, and preserve them a little bit better, but you can see them and they're very cool. For sure. Yeah. Remnants of ancient life. Casey, there's a sequel to that, by the way, it's called 1493. I, I read, I <laughs> read that. He skipped 1492. I have what read a 1493. Fool. Insignificant here. No one cares <laughs> about 1492. <laughs> it's really pretty boring. No, just some planting. Nothing happened. Plagues. <laughs> That's about globalization. I bet you had to read that. Man, not that particular text, but I would actually, since you brought it up, like, I remember international law, like it's so interesting going back to think about international relations and we think about pretty much everything post-World War One as like, you know, UN, international relations. But like, 
nations of Indians, that's international relations, you know, East and West. Sure. Um, you look about that in Asian trade. Anyways, it's yeah. just stuff we can, there's we can been, talk about. There's been trading and globalization for much longer than we realized. A realize. long, long time. So. Okay. Cool. Cool, cool. Another podcast. Yes, yeah. that would be fun to talk about. Okay. Fruta? Isaac, you want to talk about Fruta? Yeah. Fruta? Yeah, let's get into the more modern history of this place. So, Fruta, originally called Junction, uh, was one of the, it was the first um, modern establishment in this area. And this this would have been, what, in 1853? Well, so eight, 1853 is when John C. Fremont initially came through this, this area. For whom the Fremont tribe and the Fremont River is named. Exactly, after this, our friend John C. Um, so he was coming through here to look for a Northern Railroad route. And he ended up having a pretty fun adventure uh, coming out this way. Um, fun? His group ended up having to eat their horses. That's not fun. <laughs> yeah. We got to work on our vocab there. But, but at the same time, I don't know what I would have said. Eventful? Right. Exciting? Not but in the wrong way? Novel. <laughs> Didn't go as expected. Novel, yeah. Didn't go as expected. They Unique. Trailblazing. Unique. They didn't really anticipate the, the climate they were going to be entering into and the um, just the lack of resources they oh, would have. Oh, yeah, that c- so. I remember because the first time you recorded this, we talked about um, Dominguez and Escalante. Same exactly. Thing. Exactly. They, they ran to pretty much <laughs> the same issue. Utah just it puts people through the ringer, man. Right, so be careful. Don't go down there in a bad mood or you'll end up... Eating your horse. Eating your horses. <laughs> uh, don't do that. <laughs> but anyways, they another cool thing that we have from this expedition by John C. Fremont are a couple of, um, well, a couple of surviving daguerreotypes. And um, we have one of them here in front of us. And it's this amazing old black and white photo of this double monolith uh, feature, uh, rock formation. It's really quite cool to see. We'll, we'll post this photo on our Instagram so you can see the actual photo that John C. took or... Maybe someone from his team, not sure exactly, but his horse took it. His horse took it before they ate him. No, and uh, it's just cool. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like uh, that was really funny. Though I don't know why the horse joke made me laugh, but the it looks like two hands jutting out of the ground. How did you describe it last time? It's like, like like when you're it's the emoji, the prayer yeah, emoji, prayer but it's like a couple inches apart. The hands are right. have been spaced apart. It's at the end of the. Yep. Yeah, or like the like a grandma's at her grandson's soccer game and oh, he scores yeah. and she's like, "Ooh, go, Yay. yes." That's exactly yeah, what it is. Okay. Yep. It's it's an ancient giant grandma who was petrified into the into the land. It's like Dude, holes. Exactly nice. right. Petrified grandma. Thanks, man. It's another good band. Well, that's an okay band name. Petrified grandma. <laughs> anyway, so as we move on to the 1870s, this is when the Mormon church and Mormon settlers came down into the area. They were trying to establish settlements all over uh, the Utah, well, the, the Mountain West region, really. And they were sending people to cultivate the land in um, remote pockets of, of uh, I shouldn't say it. They were sending people to cultivate land and settle in really remote areas of the region. And this place that we know today as Fruta is one of those. So it's cool. They Like I said, they originally came up in... Uh, 1870s and they settled in this little pocket of of land because it is it the the river runs through it and it's sheltered by like the movie a river like the movie <laughs> oh my gosh amazing uh it it's sheltered by two big mountains on either side they're in this really lovely valley very green very fertile soil and so um they established their their farm there they planted trees they planted a lot of fruit trees and that's kind of how it eventually changed its name to fruit just because of that 
And a lot of those orchards and fruit trees are actually still alive and still well-maintained. Still fruiting. Yeah. Still fruiting. It's awesome. They have lots of different varieties of fruit. You can pick them in the harvest time in the fall, but you can also just pick them whenever. You can you can pay for it. You can pay to pick fruit or you can just go and eat them while you're in there. So Yeah. It's cool. So um, just a little bit about that history. So one of the settlers named Niels Johnson, he was the first to plant a um, an orchard of apples, peaches, pears, plums, walnuts, and almonds. So he kind of went down there by uh, planting his orchards. And it, it turned out to be a pretty hot commodity for those who lived there and those who traveled through. Uh, became kind of a tradition for those. So they, they dammed the river and uh, used ditch irrigation to to take care of it. Um, Which is so much work. They had to right. dig ditches. Yeah. They had to build dams. And when there were floods, they had to rebuild dams. And everybody had to share the water. It was a huge communal undertaking. Again, why are we here? <laughs> right. And well, that's that's one of the questions. Like, yeah. I, I, it's crazy that people live there for so long. I don't mean um, to diss people who live there. I just, I would not have done well. That's no, right. Saying. And and to that rough. point, to that point, this place was so small, it couldn't, it couldn't sustain more than 10 families at a time. Um, and so people came in and out, um, but it never grew. The people that lived there by the 1940s, they were on their way out. Mm. It was shrinking. Yeah, most people had left. But there was a schoolhouse in Fruta. Um, and then... It, there were other little towns kind of along the along modern-day Highway 24. So there yep. was Bicknell, Torrey, Fruita, Caneville, Hanksville. But there were other small towns like Giles, which was in between Fruita and Cane, Caneville. Um, and Notom, I think is how you say it. Um, but it was a tough place to live. Like, I read some stories and some, like, firsthand accounts of people who were called to settle Giles, which is on the Blue Dugway, which is this huge roadway it's the only way that ancient not ancient people gosh that pioneers could make it to hanksville and caneville from fruta so if they wanted to go east they had to climb this big hill that had this really slick clay and it was blue and they called it the blue dugway and when it was wet it was a really dangerous place cars would slide off it horses would fall over yuck it was really scary but there's this really famous story that mormon people would tell in the area one stormy day there was a teamster with his horse and wagon and he came upon the devil in the blue dugway and the devil challenged him to a duel and the teamster he pulled the only thing he could think of his trusty book of mormon not his (laughs) fiddle his book of mormon which made the devil vanish in a puff of smoke song would have been a lot different (laughs) (laughs) tell me about it the devil went down to the blue dugway. The devil went down to dugway. Dude, the <laughs> Looking for a Mormon to steal. Well, but, he found one and he lost. Yeah, the guy the guy beat him and then but the story got so scary to little kids that they made them stop telling the story because it was frightening the children. Too intense. Yeah. But I have some just some some quotes from people who lived in Giles near the Blue Dugway. Can I read this first one from Joe? Yes. I know. I'm sorry. This, no, Joe this Schmo. is this is awesome. So these are from this is from a family, James Joe and James Nielsen. Their dad, Niels Nielsen, was a Danish immigrant. So maybe Isaac can read these in Danish accents. Oh, that's better. But go ahead. Uh, I don't I, I no? can't put me on the spot like okay. that. Okay, I'll no, still read Jake, Joe. Go ahead, read yeah. Joe's first. Mother shed bitter tears. She wondered why the church wanted to send them into such a forsaken place. 
Dad put his arm around her and told her, try not to swallow the whole situation all at once. Just take one thing and one hour at a time and thrash out the problems as they come along. The idea of living outside, mostly among the bugs, snakes, and lizards, was pretty heartrending to Mother, but when she finally got her teeth into it, she was just as good a pioneer as anyone could be. I love that. That's cool. One day at yeah. a time. Thrash out the Thrash problems. Thrash your problems, man. Yeah. <laughs> I just wonder what, what, what they thought about the whole surrounding area. Like, Do you think they went out on little day trips? They were trying to survive, man. <laughs> I don't think they had time to <laughs> they were, they, go sightsee. Yeah, it wasn't a national park then. <laughs> it was... Uh, I don't know. Maybe they did. The kids, if I were a kid, I'd go and crawl among the rocks and stuff. You think there were people there that appreciated kind of where they were and and went out to see it. But but you're right. They'd be like, I'm hungry. I'm like, oh, well, too bad. (laughs) The only thing we can eat, the only thing we can eat is a rattlesnake. So exactly. I like this quote. This was from Joe's brother, James. Jim said the people lived on faith and hope and greasewood greens. Mm. There you go. Like, man, you just got to eat greasewood leaves. But so this one was funny. So they, this family had brought their grandmother. She was a tough old bird, I guess. Um, but she would, she was really good at killing bugs. And no one, this is what Joe said. No one down there had any screen doors, and the flies and mosquitoes fed on us quite a bit. When we got to the table to eat some, one had to waft the flies while the others ate. And in the evening, the mosquitoes made their attack on us. We made smudges to combat them. <laughs> so man, you just had to like sit and eat while your brother's fanning so that flies don't get you and then you have to swap out like holy cow and it was also just really far and isolated nobody if someone got sick they died like this is what joe said again two of our finest young women caught little colds and were found dead in their beds the next morning for no explainable reason then smallpox hit our town henry giles he was kind of the big founder of the town contacted it i think contracted is what he was trying to say while in Emory County after supplies. When he got home, the whole family was stricken and helpless within a week. A town meeting was called. Everyone was scared pink. A smallpox was a killer in those days. The Giles family had to have help as they were all down and lived across the river from the town. So, like, the whole community pitched in to help, but it was still rough going. And then this family, the Nielsen family, were like, fine, let's get out of here. So they moved up to Emory County, and they made a lot of money and did really well. But the dad, Niels Nielsen, felt... Like he had kind of let down the people who had called him to be there. So they moved back and Joe said that was our big mistake. <laughs> huge floods took over, took out everything in 1909. There was a huge flood. Actually, this was, these were the same floods that took out the Mighton Bridge. And yep. if you recall Mighton from Curse, the Mighton. Yeah. So 1909 was a big year for water. Um, so 1909, there was this huge flood that wiped out everything and destroyed all the crops everywhere. And then the stake president, who was kind of the, he was maybe more of a manager of the local church leaders, was there to see how things were. And he released them from their calling when they saw the damage. And they had good conscience and could leave and go back to Emory County after that. they had done their part. Yeah. So it was a rough, tough place to live. And hey, good for them. I mean, like, talk about devotion, you know. Uh, never finished their mission and they're like you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna do this i'm gonna see it through so power yeah. to them yeah but thanks to them we have a really really cool uh place for visitors to see today so um yeah the people that live there in fruta you can go to the fruta campground which right. is they, where the gefford family gifford family farm was yeah so um i guess just to go back a tiny bit so by mid i don't think they have a specific date but m- about mid 1960s 
is when the last family left Fruta. Uh, they moved to Tori, which is the... They left Kipkin and Screamin'. I don't think they wanted to leave. <laughs> yeah, well, I think you're right. Um, but what was they, her name? Corey something. But they eventually moved out to Tori, just the town on the other side, west of the National Park, which is still which is still there today and has a lot of a lot of cool things happening there, like festivals and um, Yeah, such. they've kind of modernized. Yeah, it's, it's a cool town. Um, but Fruta has been, it's been bought out by the National Park Service. Is that right? Yeah. And, and they, they maintain it really well. They have a cool little, uh, well, what they did is they developed the farm into a little um, place for tourists to come in and visit or people staying at the campground. You can go in and buy pies. They sell mini mm, um, pies. pies. <laughs> yeah, they sell mini mini pies there of all sorts of flavors and mini big small. Oh, yeah, I guess like, also mini M A N Y. But yeah, it's Sorry. it's from local <laughs> local fruit local fruit grown. Yeah. Per- personal size, yeah. personal size pies. Um, so that's pan kinda, pizza. It's fun, but it's pan, personal pan pizza. And like Casey said, you can you can pay to. Is it, is it pay to go in and pick the fruit? So you can just pick the fruit and eat it and there. Pick. But if you, during the harvest times, so you can pay per bushel oh, right. of what you pick yourself, I think. That's right. So you can go in. Uh, there's there's lots of deer there. I know that they're not shy either. So if <laughs> yeah. you're out picking fruit, the deer will come up to you and they'll stick their noses in your basket. Don't be afraid. They're, uh, they're there's friendly. also mountain lions. I mean, you're in nature. Be careful. So yeah. be, be careful. Don't be dumb. Yeah. But, yeah. um, we can talk a little bit about how it became a national park and sure. then finish and then up, wrap it up with that. Yeah. yeah. So, um, as we said, it was a rough place to live, but it was beautiful. And so there and were they lo- knew it. local people, and they, gosh dang it, they knew it. So local <laughs> people started to kind of promote the area and promote the beauty, the natural beauty, especially one guy named Ephraim Portman Pechtel and his brother-in-law, Joseph S. Hickman. So they kind of were promoters and they called it wayne wonderland that sounds like a fun place i know wayne's world wayne's Wayne, world party time <laughs> and and so that was in the 20s these people started coming they started doing tours a little bit um, and then it became a national monument in 1937 thanks to the pectals pushing and he's kind of an interesting character kind of controversial complicated, complicated yeah. guy and, and even by then, when it became a national monument, it wasn't open to the public. Right. It was just hard to get to. Right. There wasn't even, a, it wasn't even paved until like the yep. 60s, like yeah. a road to get there. So, but anyways, after a lot of pushing and there was changes and um, some grazing opened up in the area, people wanted to protect it and it wanted to make it a national park. So in 1971... Multiple bills, after multiple bills had been introduced for a few years, Richard Nixon created Capitol Reef National Park. Thanks, Rich. Rich. He's rich when he's a good guy. He actually did a lot. He actually did Tricky Dick, right? He did a lot, actually, for... He's a productive guy. For environmental (laughs) protection, actually, which is a surprise, I think. Talk to China, too. You know, he did did much. Yeah. He did many things. He did a lot of stuff. (laughs) Just put it at that. Throw up the double P sign and go to a national park. But Capitol Reef is beautiful. It's actually an international dark sky park, which makes sense. There is nothing around it for By miles. default, it's an international dark sky park. So yeah. if you want to see the Milky Way, you want to see all of the treasures that North Am- that the Northern Hemisphere skies have to offer, it's a great place to go. If you're a photographer and want to get some awesome long exposure night shots, this is the place to go. It's beautiful. You can hike. You can also just drive. It's accessible to many. And 
Isaac, do you want to talk about Fort Desolation really quick? Yeah, so Fort Desolation. One thing after that, sorry. Okay. Oh, no, you're good. Go ahead. Yeah, so Fort Desolation is, it's the region just, what is it? It's west, by Torrey. Kind of southwest of Torrey, the, the town. So that would make it just west of the national park. Um, it's, it's this place that they have established a yearly festival. So kind of like a music festival it's there. It's new though, right? Was it, the first year last year? No, no. They've, they've oh. been doing it for a couple of years if I understand correctly. But we went out there last year to see one of our favorite groups, uh, Molly Tuttle and Golden Highway. Go listen to her. She's amazing. It was awesome. It yeah. Was it's so cool. It, I mean, you, you drive for hours and hours to <laughs> yeah. to this um, completely remote place. You're like, wow, they have uh, this awesome, fun festival in the middle of nowhere. But I think the musicians seem to like it. They, they're like, wow, I've, I've never played a gig in this kind of place before. Yeah, it was cool. It was way fun. If you, if you get the chance, if you're coming through Utah... If you want to get your party on, listen to some music with some awesome red rock background, this is where you want to do it. It's a fun festival. Yeah, it's awesome. Well, real quick, all I wanted to say, um, the Capitol Reef Resort is in the area. So if you're like me and, you know, camping's cool. I like camping. I like being outside, but sometimes you just give up and you want your bed. You You glamper. Well, glamping indicates camp. I'm more just the glam, you know. I'd like to... (laughs) You are getting my hotel, Jake. right? Um, I am, yeah, and I'll own it. I don't hey, care. Hey, no, that's why it exists, right? But the Capital Reef Resort has some really, really cool stuff. Um, in particular, you could have they have teepees, luxury teepees, where you go in and there's a nice king size bed, TV, all oh, that kind of yeah. thing. And there are also, if you have a family or maybe some friends, you can do the Conestoga wagon. I nice. think that's how you say it. They got some bunks in there, that's all around fun. a nice fire. Uh, really well put together, super, super clean, super nice. So if you want to do this for more than just a day uh, and you want to spend a few days there, they've got stuff for it. You could do a llama hike. They've got some llamas what? out there that you can walk around with. They have a Jeep tour. So um, yeah, if you know you got the funds and you got the will, there's some cool stuff to do as well. Yeah, thanks. That's awesome. I think it's it's good to know what, what, what you can do there. Yeah. Um, again, like what Jake mentioned, you can do that. There's the scenic drive, like I mentioned. You can You can spend as long as you want there. And there's so much to see, so much amazing scenery. But bring lots of water, bring food because watch the weather. Make sure yep. it's not yeah, raining. Don't get flooded in. Exactly. Flooded out. I should say. The Capitol Gorge used to be called the Capitol Wash for a reason. Yep. So it, it be can be dangerous. So be aware um, what the weather's going to be like. If there's going to be rainstorms or anything like that. Um, and I do know that the some of the roads can be sandy, and so if you if you get happen to get stuck in the sand. Uh, you're going to want food because who knows how long you're going to be stuck there. So be prepared, my <laughs> friend. That's cheery. On that, cheery, reality, on that cheery note, thanks so much for listening. Go, go check it out. Yeah. Cool place. Yeah. Jake, did we convince you? I'm so ready. You going to go? I'm, I'm booking my trip. Nice. I will let my family know that's where I'm going. <laughs> with the podcast funds, of course. That's right. Yeah, with all our funds. Okay. But thanks for listening, folks. We will talk to you soon. Have a good one. Thanks. Bye. Mm-hmm.